You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today is no exception. It's April, Autism Awareness Month. And listeners of the show know I'm on the spectrum. My wife is on the spectrum. And I always like to bring on a guest who's on the spectrum. And this time, I'm bringing on a Catholic priest who's on my spec. name is Father Matthew Schneider. He's a priest with the Legionnaires of Christ and Regnum Christi. He tries to fulfill his mission of helping people know and experience Jesus, be transformed by him, and become his apostles. He began working in youth ministry and some of the material for the Conquest and Challenge Clubs, but in recent years, moved away from that. In relation to history, he writes the only book on doing one-on-one spiritual mentoring with teenagers. Well, he wrote it... With on doing the only book on doing one-on-one spiritual mentoring with teenagers called Spiritually Mentoring Teenage Boys, based on his experience. 9% of it probably applies to teen girls, too, but he doesn't have much experience there. So he became one of the biggest Catholic voices on Twitter with 50,000 followers. He's currently writing his doctoral thesis in moral theology for Regina Apostolorum in Rome. On the side, he writes some articles for a Regnum Christite post inspirational stuff and Catholic commentary online and helps with sacraments at local parishes and occasionally talks publicly on subjects discussed on his, his blog. He does this while living in the community in the Philadelphia metro area. He's written for or appeared in at least 65 other media outlets. He's written pieces appearing in the National Catholic Register, America, Crux, Homiletic, and Pastoral Review, Alicia, Zenit, Church Pop, Catholic Ignition, Today, Vecti Love, Catholicism USA, and Shalom Tidings. His pieces have been featured on New Advent, National Catholic Register, BigPulpit.com, Catholic Herald, and Spirit Daily. He's been interviewed on and in the EWT and Nightly Catholic News Agency, Sunrise Morning Show, Crux, Morning Air on Relevant Radio, Catholic Channel on Sirius XM, EWT and Pro-Life Weekly, EWT and Not Notice CS, Catholic Herald, Elite Daily, and Cresta in the Afternoon. His work has appeared in stories by Catholic News Agency, Crux, Associate Press, Huffington Post, Christianity Today, Slate, Philippine Daily Inquirer, CNN Espanol, Washington Post, Elite Daily, BuzzFeed, Christian Science Monitor, NBC4, New York, RT, On Religion, Syndicated Column, Life News, Washington Times, CBS News, Hero, and The Guardian. And lesser known sources also had him on a, or his work featured in some way CatholicFairy.com, March for Life, Grand Media, Politics, The Troubadour, Franciscan University, World Religion News, a Family Research Council, ClevelandPeople.com, Christian Daily, Assume Tech, CAF News USA, the Assyrian International News Agency, Aspie Catholic, the Brown Pelican Society, Makoko TV Channel, Regnum Christi, Diocese of Madison, It's We Movement Radio, Radio Maria, Our Catholic Radio, Sacred Heart Radio, Epic Q, and Upworthy. Whew! 
and you still have time to yeah, come on this show. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to go through that all, but it's awkward. Like the way we're on Skype, we didn't we didn't turn on the video, so it's like I couldn't mm. like go like, "Hey, God," but, mm. and you didn't. But I've been all over the place. It's uh, different things. I mean, a lot of it's been mm. autism. A number of things were uh, back when the Pope Francis was here because I said some things there, mm. or mm. or different things. I've uh, you know I've uh, mm. I've um, I've I've written at different times or or stuff got uh, a lot of. Uh, a lot of play. Well, hopefully, soon to be added to lesser known sources will be this very podcast. But let's uh, get into the show here. Um, normally, I ask how you got to be doing what you're doing, but I think I'm going to take a different tack that you are a Catholic priest who has autism. So I'd like to hear your story about how you came to know you had autism. So, uh, I always felt kind of different as a little kid, mm -hmm. but it wasn't uh, so obvious that it was autism mm -hmm. uh, when I was a little kid. Part of it was just diagnostic differences that, um, as as you probably know, the diagnostic criteria now in the 2010s is different than the diagnostic criteria was in the 80s. And the diagnostic criteria in the 80s was much more restrictive, mm -hmm. such that uh, that I don't think I would have qualified for, for a diagnosis back then. Uh, with those more restrictive characteristics, because I was I was kind of the quirky kid. I was kind of like the nerd kid, mm -hmm. who, you know, nerd kid, and I just figured, okay, well, you know, I seem to be doing okay. I'm not like, I don't, I never had the desire to be like the cool kid, the coolest kid in the school. So I didn't feel like bad that that was happening. But anyway, so I just went through life pretty, pretty ordinary. Uh, uh, I went to my second year of computer engineering. I, uh, I, I felt the call to the priesthood during that year. And so after that year, in the next summer, I joined the Legionaries of Christ uh, at our novitiate. Mm -hmm. and, and I went through all the formation there. I was always the like, same thing. I was kind of the, uh, the, the guy who was, the, uh, who was kind of the nerd, but... You know the lovable nerd. I I got the nickname Schneiderpedia because, mm. as as you probably know, sometimes we kind of tend to have a very encyclopedic knowledge with yeah. where we have a very good long term memory, even if we don't have the best short term memory. So we might forget what happened 20 minutes ago, but if if we remember something, uh, but we tend to remember stuff that happened 10 years ago more mm. uh, than other people, and and so that went through that did pretty well and and everything and then after my after i was ordained uh in 2013 i was assigned to be the chaplain to a uh to a school pretty normal assignment for a new priest and i went through did the first year i thought okay well you know i made a mistake or two but i didn't think i'd done anything horrendous mm -hmm. you know i had worked as a as a chaplain to a school beforehand so i so having a few you know, missteps, I figured, well, there's a learning cur curve to everything, and that's life, and, oh. you know, if you expect me to be perfect after, you know, arriving my first year, I mean, I don't know what you're, <laughs> I don't know if that's even possible, uh, and, but then after the first year, they, the school was like, no, we really don't want you back, um, mm. we, we think there's, you know, there's some issues, maybe Asperger's, maybe something else, because you're just not, like, picking up on, you know, kind of the, the the nonverbal social communication of some of the kids here oh, yes. and, and it might be causing problems and such. So anyway, so so I kind of went, uh, I kind of 
went out of that, went into doing uh, mainly working for uh, a, few, uh, a few different things over the past few years uh, behind the scenes, but at the same time studying part-time uh, graduate theology. I was doing, I was working on a project we were trying to do to, to make uh, a course for people to learn spiritual direction. I was kind of uh, trying to compile that and then at the end that was, and then working for the communications team for, for the religious community for North America. And, and those, and, and then, and then, you know, at the same time I was going, I, I went to go and get a diagnosis to check about autism. The first time I went right after that summer, that uh, year as a school chaplain. So I went to talk to a psychologist in August or so of that year. And in hindsight, he never really did specifically autism tests. He did the, he did some pretty standard psychological tests like the MMPI, which is kind of, if you've ever done a psychology test and you have like a, a 300 question uh, test that you just answer and the psychologist answer like paper and pencil or on a computer, that's called the MMPI. It's a pretty standard psychological test and things. And he did one or two other things like that, but not, not much specific to autism or Asperger's or anything like that. And then, uh, and then, and then about a year later in the fall, in uh, so this would be like November of 2015, October, November 2015. I did. I went to a different psychologist because people said, "Ah, oh, you should, you should still check it out. Maybe that psychologist wasn't good." I went to a different psychologist. I went through uh, a whole bunch of tests where they did, where it was a lot more uh, specifically to autism type tests where. Uh, it would be things like, okay, here's a, here's a picture. Can you tell a story based on this picture? And, and then, and things like that. Uh, and there was, it was, it was maybe like 12, 12 hours of tests or something like that. Cause I went, I went there basically the whole afternoon, probably three days or so. Mm -hmm. And some of the tests, I guess, took them a bit to get back or things. And then in January 2016, I got the diagnosis based off of all those tests I did in, in you know, the latter months of, you know, uh, the latter months of 2015. Uh, and and so that's how I found out. I, I, I found out I got the diagnosis. At first, I was kind of, when I first got the diagnosis, I was kind of, I was kind of frustrated, kind of mad about it. But then as I started reading, I really started to understand things. I remember one of the biggest things for me was when I started to ask people about how conscious they were of certain social things and how to, you know, uh, work through social situations and kind of the emotion of the other person. And I was all, the, because I'd read it in one of the books on autism, you know, and I was mm -hmm. like, and it was a surprise to learn, oh, everybody else just kind of like does that. Yeah. And I'd be able to do, you know, half decently, not, not amazingly, but half decently just, uh, in a conscious manner, like thinking through it, uh, not in kind of a, a subconscious, uh, automatic manner, like everybody else. It was a totally, that was, that was really a moment where I kind of confirmed that, okay, you know, this is something that, that's actually like something that's quite different, not just kind of like a secondary personality trait or something like that. And so that was, that was 2016. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and within a few months I realized, okay, like at some point I have to be public about this. Uh, you know, I had told the people right around me, the ones who I was working with, the ones in my community pretty soon, but I knew, 
because by this time I was already kind of had a you know, tens of thousands, a few, t- I don't remember exactly, maybe 40,000 followers on Twitter at the time or something. I couldn't just uh, kind of tell much more of a circle outside of, you know, my immediate family, the community I was with, and, you know, the four or five people I interacted with a lot at work. Uh, I couldn't go beyond that without pretty much going to uh, public to everybody. And so that happened in, so that happened in about 2000, in, uh, 2019 on April 2nd for mm-hmm. World Autism Awareness Day. I kind of picked it that day to kind of, because it kind of made sense in, mm-hmm. to do that. So that's that's kind of where I come from. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, if it's all the details of things. Uh, that's that's the kind of situation. That's where, that's kind of my story, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting you're talking about the 80s because I was diagnosed in the 80s. And like you growing up, I was the nerd as well, I still am the nerd, and I fully agree with you that if we get really interested in a subject, we come to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the subject. We learn everything we can about, which for me is really helpful as an apologist to be able to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the topics. So, now, you, uh, you're still relating and serving as a priest with autism on the spectrum. Are there any struggles you have, like maybe things like listening to confessions or anything like that? Well, I think uh, a lot of things like that a priest would do where it does involve a lot more of that, um, those kind of social reading skills, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those things are not as good. I mean, one of the things that, um, that, uh, that I've noticed with, uh, with this is afterwards. So after I finished, so what I was talking about beforehand, I was doing part-time graduate theology. Right now I'm doing it full-time. So uh, let me just explain briefly uh, the structure for theology because it's a little different from most American degrees. Most American degrees you have bachelor's, Mm -hmm. master's, doctorate. Well, theology in ecclesiastical theology, uh, you know, the church theology, it's slightly different in the sense it goes, it, it goes, bachelor's degree in something with philosophy, with a, with a good amount of philosophy, and then what's called a sacred theology bachelorate, or in the U.S., a master's divinity, and then what's called a license in sacred theology, which is what I was doing part-time, and then a doctorate in sacred theology. So right now I'm doing the doctoral degree, and part of that was after I was diagnosed, after talking to my superiors and, and looking for discernment, uh, where, I would, where I would serve more, uh, be better to serve, Part of it was to say, look, you know, uh, you're really good at writing. You're really knowledgeable. You're good at talking about facts and information mm-hmm. in theology. You aren't always the best in reading emotions like spiritual direction mm-hmm. or marital counseling or things like that. Mm-hmm. And why not put you in a position that's going to... Uh, is going to take best advantage of those those kind of skill sets. So I'm 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 writing a doctoral thesis that hopefully will then then parlay into uh, some kind of writing or so, or some kind of teaching theology in a seminary somewhere or or something along those lines. It's not mm-hmm. I don't have a specific assignment uh, lined up for me once I finish, but that's the kind of idea. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. It's much easier for me to think and act academically in, say, the debate 
arena than it is for social arena. And I'd actually say maybe like this, it's easier for me to talk to a crowd of 100 people than it is to engage someone in one-on-one conversation. Yeah, I think I think that a lot of it has to do with not necessarily for me as is the uh, the amount of people, but it's also the the type of topics and mm-hmm. what you're supposed to yeah. be reading because it's very different to present theology because you're mainly using uh, kind of the informational aspect. Uh, the whereas when when we're presenting uh, you know emotional and more kind of uh, personal things like in spiritual rational counseling, even if it's like I could teach somebody one-on-one theology the same as I could teach a hundred, but it's the type of information more than that. Mm-hmm. Because in in language, words have words have two sets of meanings. Mm-hmm. They have uh, the denotative and the connotative meaning. And the denotative meaning, uh, generally autistics and uh, neurotypicals don't really struggle to, to communicate each other, but the connotative meaning we, we tend to. And the difference is that the, that the denotative meaning is just the meaning in itself, what it means abstractly, what you get in a dictionary. But the connotative takes a whole bunch of context and might, be, might indicate that it was meant ironically or you know, meant as an emotional word here or there. And so that's those type of things, whereas when, I'm ta- when you're talking theology, almost every word is meant in a denotative, if primarily a denotative manner. Whereas if you're talking marital counseling, a lot of the words, the connotative meaning is much, is much more important. And we as autistics uh, struggle with understanding neurotypicals and the uh, connotative words. Yeah. I'm also curious, since they said you have a struggles with spiritual matters, um, how does this affect your own kind of relationship with God? Because I think it's really hard for us to relate to simply ordinary people on any level, and I think it seems to be so much more difficult to relate to God sometimes. Well, I think I think that there's a difference here in the sense, like I'm talking spiritual direction, not necessarily spiritual mm-hmm. matters, because I, a lot of times what we can have is that we will have um, a little more difficulty at the beginning, but I think long term and getting into deeper prayer, we can actually sometimes progress uh, in ways that are that are transformative. Uh, we start off with our own in our own lives with uh, with with prayer and one of the biggest struggles with prayer is kind of the the at the beginning is kind of the divine theory of mind mm-hmm. um, in the sense that like i i think of i can understand what god's thinking of and that and that is more of a struggle but once but once we get past that i think we can often go quicker just because of what we were talking about before where it's an encyclopedic knowledge and so uh you probably had this experience we're talking with other people um, where you move from one thing to another mm-hmm. and they don't see the connection, but you do. Oh, yes. And I think that that's a, rel- that's a more common experience for those of us on the spectrum. And I think with God, because God can, in a way, read our mind, that is resolved. And the other, the other, the other issue that we don't have to deal with once we get past the, kind of the, the initial stages that can help us go deeper is what it has to do with that kind of mind reading ability that between us and God in the sense that 
when we when we talk to each other, like I'm talking to you right now, and so mm-hmm. what's the, what's the whole process of that? The whole process of that is there's some kind of concept in my mind, and then I translate that concept into an English word, mm-hmm. and then I state that English word with my mouth, and it goes through electronics. But the electronics aren't really are can be irrelevant here because. Uh, even if we were face to face, everything else. Yeah. And then you hear that word, and you take that word and take those sounds, translate it into a into a into some kind of English word, and then you translate that English word into a concept. Uh, that's just normal speech, and we do this while we're speaking. But when we're speaking with God, a lot of times we can kind of short circuit that process, which is which is a huge process that a lot of times. Uh, autistic, autistic individuals like uh, so. So, in the sense that I can speak concept to concept with God, and I don't have to worry about, okay, how do I translate this even into English? Let alone, how do I translate that English word that I have in my mind to a vocal sound, uh, or how do I? And God can come to us in ways that are that are kind of conceptual that might be hard to explain in words. Uh, but we don't need to explain it in words because it's a it's a discussion with God, who oftentimes our experience of Him is beyond words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I think there I think we do have definitely a difficulty in the beginning, but I but I think a lot of times those later once once you kind of overcome that initial hump, we 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 might be able to go uh, progress even a little better than those not on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that for sure. That's 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 a hard thing to to quantify, but I do think that once we get over that, we don't, we, we, once we get over that kind of the divine theory of mind uh, part, which is near the beginning, I think we can pray quite well. So hopefully that makes sense. Hello, this is Andy Bannister, the director of the Solar Center for Public Christianity, and I'm delighted to endorse and uh, recommend the ministry of Deeper Waters Apologetics. I've been hugely impressed watching the work that Nick has done over the years, building up the website and the podcast, the quality of the guests that he gets onto there. And I love the way that uh, the ministry challenges and encourages both Christians and those who don't have a Christian faith to really think through the claims of the gospel. I'm also impressed by just how Christ-centered and Nicky is and all that he does. It's a desire to see people encounter Jesus Christ and the life-transforming truth of the gospel. So uh, more strength to them. It's been a privilege to know Nick over the years, and I hope Deeper Waters goes from strength to strength. And if you haven't yet discovered it, check out the website, deeperwatersapologetics.com for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go on, I'd like to remind everyone you're listening to Deeper Waters Podcast. We're going to be here an hour today. And this week, we're talking with Matthew Schneider, an autistic Catholic priest. But if you're here next week, we are going to have marriage advice. When I've been wanting to have him on the show for a while, and it's taking your time to come on. Sheila Ray Gregor from To Love, Honor, and Vacuum is going to be my guest. We're going to be talking sex and marriage together. So I hope you'll be tuning in next week for that. And I, I like the way you talk about, you know, trying to form the connections with talking to God and in turn talking with other people. I remember when I started with my roommate, we were both apologetics nerds. He's not on the spectrum, but I am. And we went to a kingdom hall where the Jehovah's Witnesses meet, because we had some of them visiting us, and they wanted us to go to church. We said, okay, we'll try it. And after the service, we get what I call love-bombed, where everyone comes up to us just wanting to get to meet us, 
And if you're like I am in that situation, you start getting terrified at that point. And this lady comes up to me and takes my hand and starts shaking and introduces herself. I'm sitting there just standing there and just not knowing what to do. Where well, I do know what to do, but I can't make myself do it. And I would say your name. And so I wound up doing it then. But, oh gosh, it, it's just so hard to relate to people like that sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think sometimes one of the things that we can tend to be better at is that we're not as moved by pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because I think a lot of peer pressure is is using kind of that that subconscious um, aspect of theory of mind and understanding the social cues of others that most people work work on. But when we're doing it consciously and mm-hmm. thinking through it, we're like, we're I think we're we're more likely to pick up on, oh, this person is, you know, this is these people are trying to push me to do this, but this isn't really important. Or we're much more likely to be uh, very strict in our in our in our moral values in that mm-hmm. regard. That that um, we won't do it. I mean, there's a there's a blog online, um, Aspie Priest, uh, who's a, who's a, a, a priest on another priest on the spectrum. It's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know his name, but uh, it's not public on the website, so mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say it. That's fine. Uh, I'd have to actually think. I'd have to actually think because I know I've talked to him mm-hmm. via email. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But anyways, he mentions that when he went into the seminary, the uh, the professors and formators and such weren't sure if he was being honest because he he had lived such like strict moral purity that they were surprised, even for somebody going into the seminary, that he was that he didn't do any any kind of uh, you know any kind of sinful acts that they that they might expect. Uh, in their prior life. So that's where I think sometimes there's a lot of things for us where, you know, our moral stance are, 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 are less, are being less susceptible to peer pressure is a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I regularly counsel many guys and a lot of them struggle with pornography and that just hasn't been a struggle for me. Really it hasn't. I consider myself one of the rare men who didn't grow up porn at all and married waited until I got married saved myself and my wife and I have been married nearly 10 years she has never once heard me use profanity and I, I follow those super strict moral codes in so many ways I mean heck like I said with pornography sometimes I'll be browsing my internet and sometimes something will pop up I've clicked the wrong thing out, as soon as I realize where it is, I exit out immediately, and I go, and I tell her everything that happened, and she's when I saying, it's okay, it's okay, I know you didn't mean to do anything, because I'm all torn up about it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that a lot of times those things, I know someone else who uh, who might be on the spectrum, they were telling me uh, they, they've been part of a youth group, and one of the uh, youth group leaders, uh, you know, older teenager, Mm-hmm. Um, had started smoking, and they thought, "Oh, this person, I can't trust them anymore." They have, yeah. you know, how much? And I think it come out, you know, sometimes like that. We can go. That tendency can go almost too far, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, because it's like, okay, like this person who's you know eighteen or whatever is smoking, uh, and this was in Canada, so 
18 is legal. Uh, well, 18 is legal to smoke okay. in the U.S. too. It's strict yeah. until 21. But anyway, so this, per, you know, this the, it was uh, the the smoking was legal, but they just felt like, oh, this is a horrendous moral. They I can't trust this person for moral advice. I can't follow mm-hmm. their their lead. But I think that 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 uh, you know that's a that's a uh, that could be a uh, that could be that can be something that can be positive and negative, but we can tend to be very, 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 um, very uh, strict. Very strict on those things. So, yeah, I, my wife's interested in joining the Orthodox Church, so we go there every now and then. And I've heard her priest use profanity sometimes. And first time I heard, I was kind of stunned. But I thought I thought priests weren't supposed to talk that way, but. Uh, I've come around, you know, maybe I just need to lighten up some and just, if someone else's conscience isn't condemned, it's not mine to say. Yeah, I mean, I would, as a priest, I would say it's probably better not to, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's also like, we're not, uh, I'm not going to uh, mm-hmm. go, um, you know, I'm not going to, I, I think there's a certain sense where we say, okay, like, you know, we're not going to condemn somebody for mm-hmm. for a minor issue of character, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think sometimes it can be very, we can tend to be very black and white. Oh yeah, in ways that are are not the that that can be helpful at times. Like, you know, should we should we take uh, you know a swig of marijuana in high school? No, mm-hmm. but at the same time, those same things can can cause issues where we have a uh, we have a a situation where somebody else is the parish preached something and says you know one wow word and we 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 get after them. I remember one time in the uh, in the seminary uh, we were doing we were doing a little bit of repair and uh, I had a slight accident and I hurt myself. Uh, nothing serious. You know, even to go to the hospital. But in in the moment, I said a profanity uh, when I hurt myself, and I I felt really bad, and I'm like apologizing to everybody else around. They're like, well, I mean, if you did that with your yourself, I mean, we we, we saw you do it. It's like, it's like that's that's a normal reaction. Even the other seminarians were like telling me not to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, and that's and it was obvious that I wasn't. I wasn't somebody who was using profanity with any kind of regularity. It was more of, you know, I don't remember what it was, but something. To, it was something like what would happen, you know, if you're trying to hammer a nail and you accidentally like hammer your thumb instead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> type type thing. It wasn't exactly that, but it was something else. I knew with the the details of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that also brought to mind the way that, like, we tend to think very literalistically. If someone tells me, for instance, something about, say, like, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, A's, about something, and they said, oh, wait, wait, I need to explain that, because I know your concrete mind, you are thinking exactly 30 days. No, I, I don't mean that. I mean, if someone tells me they're going to be somewhere in 10 minutes, I can't expect them to be there in 10 minutes. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. Yeah, I mean, we can we can tend to be, uh, you know, more, um, you know, more more littlest and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so, 
is is it difficult for you sometimes also when it comes to like making friends with other people and knowing who you can trust and who you can't trust? Um, I, I think sometimes those type of things can be a challenge. I think one of the things that I have as an advantage right now is that um, a lot of people I know are like in my own community. So I know mm-hmm. kind of that they're, you know, inherently more trust, like someone to trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, you know, somebody who's gone through a whole formation life is probably not going to be somebody who's just, who's, who has huge issues yeah. here and there. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, and those type of things, but that uh, we'll see how that uh, you know how that uh, and then also a lot of times I know a lot of people who I who I know you know more via the internet than in person, and yeah. so a lot of those people I think I'm at least from what can be seen from writing. Uh, as opposed to speaking, we can actually uh, we can actually be that kind of that sense where we have where we do all the uh, theory of mind consciously. It can actually help us out in, in, in sometimes in writing things like online discussion and things like that. Oh yeah, I think so. the internet has been such a great gift to those of us on the spectrum because it's so much easier to speak on the internet. And we have so many cases of people who are non-verbal, and then all of a sudden they get on the internet and they're able to communicate with people. And that kind of writing, it's really quite helpful. So our minds can make connections super quickly that other people can't seem to make. So when I'm caught in a Facebook debate with someone, I'm seeing all these connections. You know, it, it, it's kind of like... What you might imagine, say, if, you, if you've seen the scene from, say, The Good Doctor, what goes on in Sean Murphy's mind whenever he's examining a patient, that, that kind of thing going on. I, I've not seen that. I, I, I'll be honest, I, watch, I don't watch a lot of um, scripted television or mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. I'll end up watching... Uh, I, I tend to like more like documentaries like... Mm-hmm. like I, I love my planet earth and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'll watch like planet earth documentaries before mm-hmm. that. And I don't watch a lot of TV as it is. So it mm-hmm. ends up, I barely watch any of the like mm-hmm. big shows. So, you know, that, that gets me to something you'd said earlier about how we make our connection curves. My wife is much more of a feeler person than I am. And that can get very interesting when we have a disagreement. Cause I think, She's feeling the disagreement going on at the moment. And if I'm getting emotional, it's because of the logic I see going on with seeing me. Okay, well, if that means that, 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 and I make all these connections immediately. And it might be things that other people might not do instantly, but to me, it, it's, it's second nature just make those connections. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we tend to to make a lot of those connections, and that, and that can actually be very helpful in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. you have to be cautious sometimes. Uh, I know when I'm in, you know, when we're having dinner and discussion at the community, and sometimes I'll make some point, and people are like, "Where did that come from?" And I'm like, "Oh, let me go back and like, mm-hmm. I made this jump, this mm-hmm. thing you said reminded me of this thing, you know." Or sometimes yeah. we're also we're all slow, so a lot of times I'll be like, "Oh, can we go back? Can I go back and make a point about what we said?" Like. 
five minutes ago because mm-hmm. I know you kind of have moved on, but I there was one thing I, I really want to say that didn't get out back then. like to remind everyone at this point you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast everything we do is supported by people like you and uh, if you'd like to help us out please go to my website deeperwatersaprojects.com there's a link on the side help support work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries you click on that link and you get taken to the ministry of risen Jesus have you gone to the right place yeah you have those are my in-laws Mike and Debbie Lona. You make a donation, you get in touch with me, or my wife, Ari, or Mike, or Debbie, and say, hey, I, uh, I want to make uh, I made a donation, I want to go to Nick Peters, I want to go to Deeper Waters. We will get that donation, it will be tax deductible. You can also uh, get ebooks I've written. One I've written so far definitely is uh, A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian, and... Hopefully, yeah, by now, it'll be Dawkins in the Dark, a response to Richard Dawkins' book, Outgrowing God. And ones that have co-written the Mention Bars Project, of course. God and Natural Disasters, Defining Inerrancy, Contextualizing Inerrancy, Christian Answers of Risk Generations Questions. Maybe one or two others that are escape groundless. And also, I've started a YouTube channel... Not just for a podcast, Deeper Waters Apologetics. I'm planning on making short videos. Some I'm making are related to autism, especially for this month. And if you can't do any of these, just go on iTunes and leave a positive review for the Deeper Waters podcast. I'd love to see it. Uh, Father Schneider, do you have an organization you'd like to see people donate to? Well, I always love uh, for my... You know, my community, we always we can always use some we can always use a little more money right now. Most of the stuff I'm doing is out of, you know, the local community. So I can mm-hmm. send you the link. I'll send the link uh, to you afterwards. It's because uh, it's 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 we use a, a service called Sativa, which is kind of a credit card processing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sativa, it's like Sativa dot com slash. And then it's like a five digit random six-digit random numbers and letters, which I can't remember. Uh, so I'll just I'll just send that to you, uh, and you can add it to the to the notes that you have for when you post this uh, this uh, this episode. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Uh, five digits of letters and numbers, and you're not remembering. <laughs> I thought I I never put the effort into remember. Uh-huh. I just have it's those things like it's on it's on my I have a bookmark on my computer, mm. but. Uh, you know, it's not. Yeah. I I can remember those things if I put my effort into it, but I I don't remember. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not that I don't have like that absolute photographic memory that some that some on the spectrum 
uh, have had. I'm not that good, but I'm pretty. I'm pretty intelligent. So yeah, I, I used to be a cashier at a Walmart, and sometimes people would come through with a big item that, that you know you couldn't run over the, the cash register to scan, and they'd say, "You want to get the gun?" And scanners said, "Nope." And I'd come around. Take a look for about two or three seconds, come in, type in the number, like 10, 11, 12 digits. And say, did, did you just memorize that number? Yeah, just memorize the whole thing right there. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, those type of things can be uh, can be a challenge. Uh, you know, I, well, those type of things can be at with mm-hmm. uh, for those on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I, I can do that. I just never I just never bothered to try and do this yeah. one because I just kind of think. I'm curious if I'm curious if your answer if you can multitask very well because I remember it used to be my in-laws when shortly after we got married they first thought when Ari and I came to visit them that I was being rude <laughs> because they'd be talking to me and I'd be playing a game on my game system or something like that. Say, He's not listening to a thing we're saying. But then I'd re- be able to repeat everything they said back to him before he engaged. And I thought, no, he actually is paying attention. For me, it's just it's easier to do that if I'm multitasking. Well, I think I think that sometimes there's a certain degree of multitasking, and then there's uh, that I think we can do mm-hmm. that we do well. Mm-hmm. And I think there's beyond that we we can be we can be worse. I think a lot of times what it is is that uh, a lot of autism is. You know, it's less. They're generally autistics have less filters, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, mental filters between the direct um, input into our senses and kind of the more processing part of the brain. And so, with that, sometimes uh, that's where we get a lot of our 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 characteristics that are most famous. You know, you're, someone is stimming. Well, why are they stimming? Why are they why are they why are they twisting that thing around their finger? Well, because they're they're having to regulate their their sensory input in an external way, whereas you are much much more able to regulate it internally because of you have mm-hmm. uh, you know a, a, a larger set of filters between the sensory input and the uh, and, uh, and what you're thinking of, what's like the conscious mind. Um, I notice this as far as uh, light um, is one thing that I will. I will be, for example, you come into my head, it is very bright. I have all like 50 of 100 Calvin <laughs> lights and, and quite a few lights. I mean, my office is, mm-hmm. is quite bright. People, people, make, people make comments, oh, wow, bright office. But then we go outside. I'm one of the first, first people to put on sunglasses. Mm. And, I think, and I think that is that what's a comfortable range for me of amount of light is a smaller range than for a lot of neurotypicals. Uh, it's my range tends to be within what's normal. So it's not as problematic as those who, those who are on the spectrum who really like it very very dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which can be, which is which is not super, which is not super uncommon on the spectrum. Whereas mine is much more, like, if I'm awake, I need I would really like a decent amount of light. I don't like it being you know like dark. But mm-hmm. at the same point, once you get past a certain level, it's like. Okay, I gotta get the sunglasses on. Yeah. So, I think the same way with kind of multitasking, where sometimes it's like there's kind of uh, multitasking where you're doing one thing consciously, and then there's another uh, unconscious thing you're doing, 
mm-hmm. or semi-conscious that you're doing. And I think yes. oftentimes we do that. And that's the type of thing like the stimming or whatever else like that. Whereas I don't think, I think some other things where people are doing both consciously, we can, we can be worse at, you know, like for mm-hmm. instance, uh, I've, I was watching, you know, I was over at, I've been over at, uh, you know, parents' houses. Well, not my parents. I say people who have, who have little kids and the woman will be consciously cooking and keeping track of like th- three pots in the stove and then pick up her crying child and be soothing the quiet child while the three pots are on the stove. And that's almost too much <laughs> mm. at that point, you know, like keeping track of all that. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, I think, I think a lot of times it has to do with where we, where we try to do an external regulation of our sensory, uh, sensory input, um, whereas other people can do it more internally. And so you do have certain degrees of multitasking, like, uh, you know, like somebody might be playing, uh, what's the game, uh, 20, what's the game, 2048, or the one where you just slide oh, yeah. the things phone yeah. or whatever. Uh, the, you know, while they're talking to somebody and they aren't, they aren't uh, that's actually helping them to focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think we might actually be worse if that person was actually trying to read an actual important email while they were talking to them. Some neurotypicals would actually be, would be better at that kind of multitasking. So I think there's kind of a, a variation in those type of things. So, mm. you know, something that you said also got me considering better. See, when I went to seminary, even though I'm fairly Protestant, I went to a Protestant seminary. My seminary was very much into the writings and metaphysics of Thomas Aquinas, and I remember hearing details about the life of Aquinas. And to this day, if people ask me, I say, I swear, if he if he was around today and being tested, Aquinas would be on the spectrum. He just seems to me to have all the traits of being on the spectrum. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about him. I do know that um, Amy O'Connell, who runs a uh, a website called Autism Consecrated, she is a laywoman, Catholic mm-hmm. laywoman, and uh, Autism Consecrated subtitle is living the living the mission or living the life of Saint Thorlac, and Saint Thorlac was. Um, a bishop in Iceland, and he was mm-hmm. really the one who uh, who um, put Icelandic church because they had converted from some missionaries beforehand, but they were still uh, like a lot of times when the culture was first converted to Christianity, they weren't fully Christian. They still had, you know, the chieftains would still have their concubines and things like that. And and Thorlac was really the one who kind of mm-hmm. cleaned up a, a lot of different things on those ty- uh, on those type at uh, those type of levels. And, and she, she, Amy thinks that he was on, uh, that Thorlach was on the spectrum, which is, is reasonable. I just, I recently read her book on, on, on Thorlach and it, it's, it seems reasonable. I haven't analyzed Aquinas. I do know that, uh, there is a, there is an article on a Catholic website called Aletheia, which is one of the ones that I've written for, but I didn't write this one of three saints who might've been on the spectrum, which I think is reasonably mm-hmm. Well, so, mm-hmm. what would you say about people who say that people who are autistic tend to be more agnostic and atheist because they have a hard time thinking abstractly about God? Well, here's 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 what I would say. I would say that there's there is a distinction here in that I think uh, 
one of the biggest factors is that autistics tend to not be in the middle as far as religious practice, in that autistics tend to be either somebody who believes that God exists and therefore are trying to be at a at, you know, service or, or mass every week, mm-hmm. or believes that God doesn't exist or that it's unprovable and never go to church. Whereas mm-hmm. when you look at neurotypicals, a huge percentage, I'd say almost the majority, are kind of the ones who come to ma- come to service or mass occasionally, maybe once a month, maybe maybe Christmas and Easter, and maybe God exists, but they don't really. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's and they come to church almost for more of a social reason mm-hmm. that it's the thing to do than for uh, a sincere belief. Whereas I think a lot of, a decent part of what comes across as uh, not believing uh, by autistics who are atheist agnostic is not necessarily that our lack of belief is more common. It's just that we will tend to uh, be more consistent in it and Mm. be more uh, less worried about the social aspects. So whereas a non-artistic who thinks, oh, you know, I'm like, I can, I can go to uh, church. Uh, you know, I'll, when I go back to visit mom and dad, I'll go to church just to, for the social aspect, you know, to, to please my parents or to please my grandma or something. Whereas an artistic, if they really don't believe, they'll be like, I don't believe. Why am I going to go and pretend to worship God I don't believe in? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a good portion of it. And I think an- another aspect is, unfortunately, in a lot of the catechism classes or Bible studies that we have, Bible Bible school that we have for kids to teach in the faith, um, we've really, uh, unfortunately, uh, not structured it for uh, the autistic mind a lot, especially middle school. It's very emotional, very, mm-hmm. uh, very much of emotive to the point that that's that's 90% of it, and that really doesn't speak to us, whereas a much more kind of logical, almost like a philosophical explanation of the faith would probably speak to an autistic teen, more kind of yeah. emotive one that's more standard in youth groups, both Catholic, Protestant, both Catholic and Protestant. Uh, and so I, I think there's those two factors as well that, that make it seem that people... Uh, People are not are outside of the church uh, on that term, and I, and finally, I do think some have a little bit of a difficulty. But I think that if you explain God in terms more adapted to autistics, I think that is uh, something that can be overcome. Uh, and related to the second one, there I should have said it is that we tend to be ex- feel excluded because of how that is. I know mm-hmm. um, one woman who. Uh, runs a really good program to help uh, autistic young people learn their faith at a, at, at a Catholic church. She has a son who's on the spectrum who, who, when he was at college, said that the place he felt least accepted uh, as an autistic was at the Catholic chaplaincy. He would felt mm. more accepted in his classes, in the in the student center and things like that, than he did feel in his in his own in 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 the church. And so I think that those kind of things can affect a lot on how 
objects view God and view and view our um, and view and view faith and and those type of things. So. Yeah, I think the apologetic approach like right here, that would work better with reaching a lot of people on the spectrum. If you try to talk to them about emotions and feelings, it's really not going to register, is it? Probably not. I mean, I know that like one of the things for me was, I don't know if, I, I, don't know if, I, I haven't checked with you, but you read uh, Kraft and Ticelli's uh, Handbook of Christian Apologetics? Yep, sure have. That really, when I was a teenager, was, was, a, was a big help for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when it was published in the '90s, when I was a teenager, and mm-hmm. uh, that's, and that's very much a you know a rational, very kind of. I don't think it was designed that way, but it, I think it matches very much the autistic mind. Uh, I don't know how, how familiar your audience would be, but Kreft and Ticelli, Kreft is spelled K-R-E-E-F. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was Kreft for like ten ten or twenty years, but it, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, so. So the uh, the the end of the book is basically very systematic presentation. You know, the first chapter is like, does God exist? Okay, well here's twenty five arguments that God exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter two, does heaven exist? Okay, here's twenty five arguments that heaven exists. And and they and they aren't kind of and for the most part they aren't. The Bible says so. They're mainly more rational. It's like, does God exist? I don't even think one of the arguments involves the Bible. But once you get to some of the later questions, obviously they're going to be quoting the Bible directly because some things mm-hmm. you can know by reason alone, like that God exists, and some things you can only know by Scripture, like that yeah. God is one, because there's nothing. Uh, it's not it's not knowable without the Scriptures that, that there is the Trinity. We can know that there is a God mm-hmm. of yeah. some of some form, but is that God a single, you know, absolute one God, or is it a Trinity? And Revelation tells us it's a trinity. He he is a trinity. Yeah. You know, when you say that, remind me that I have a great danger when my wife and I are in small group settings and it's a Bible study. Because my great danger is I'll get so excited about the topic that I want to go on and on and on. And it's not my intention, but I come across as dominating the subject. And I have to sit back and say absolutely nothing. Sometimes I'm chomping at the bits to say something. <laughs> Oh yeah, I know. I know a few people have mentioned online that I come across at times in a way that seems kind of know it all, and I definitely don't. I, mm-hmm. I definitely, I definitely don't intend that way, and I definitely, you know, you know, if you talk to me and we've talked here, you can kind of get this. Not, I don't yeah. try and be like, oh, I know everything, mm-hmm. uh, but I guess just the way it comes across sometimes through social media, a few people have told me that. Now I try and avoid it more than than I do. Where I wasn't really thinking about it, uh, because I've, people have mentioned that I come across that way. Like I know uh, similar things. Like I know my dad says that when I read the Bible uh, or I read the parts of the Mass, mm-hmm. I can tend to go too fast and he'll lose. He'll oh lose yes. My, lose yes. It. Because I'll just talk quickly uh, when I'm reading something because I, I grasp it, and he, and so now whenever I'm you know reading the Bible at for a congregation or whatever. I, I often consciously think, okay, slow down and things. I, other people have told me the same thing, but I notice that most, my dad is the one who keeps telling me, you know, he's told me multiple times, whereas most of the others, uh, you know. And what would you say to someone who's just found out they're on the spectrum or they think they could have a child on the spectrum? 
Well, I think that the first thing is to realize that God loves you as you are, and God loves mm-hmm. that child as they are, and God expects something. God wants them to be the best they can be, to be the saint that God calls them to be, in the state that God calls them to be. He doesn't say, like, okay, um, you're on the spectrum, therefore I'm going to call you to be, you know, the most, to to be the next Dale Carnegie, you know, where you're like the mm-hmm. the friendliest guy around and everybody's, you know, how to win for, Dale Carnegie is how to win friends and influence people. And that's you know, all about smooth talking and things like that. And you know what? They There's a good chance that we won't be the best at that, but God calls us to be the best for who we are, not to be the best in an abstract. So I think sometimes uh, we can get caught up thinking, oh, I got to be uh, the best everything or the best like like so-and-so. I got to be like Billy Graham or I got to be like St. Therese of the Zoo. But God calls each person to its own, who, his or her own holiness. And so I think that that is something we have to think about uh, on uh, for ourselves on the spectrum, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Well, Father Shinano, it's been an interesting discussion. Like you said, you only had an hour, but it was great having you on here. And do you have a blog, a website, an email, a way people can get in touch if they want to find out more? Yeah, so um, I'm kind of on all the social media. Just look for two different things. So I have Autistic Priest on Facebook and Twitter, which is uh, specifically uh, about autism and Christian Christian spirituality, autism Christianity. I also just have my name, Father Matthew Schneider, uh, uh, on all those. If you just search for Matthew LC, because FR for Father and LC for Legionaries of Christ, which is my religious community. For those who aren't Catholic, just think like the, the Franciscans and the Jesuits. It's just a less known one called the Legionaries of Christ. And so from those, uh, you can get in touch with me. I usually I usually get back to messages on Facebook and Twitter uh, within 24 hours. Other, other means to get a hold of me are a little more complicated. Those all link back to my blog, which is called Through Catholic Lenses, which I which I blog about different things. I tend to a lot about um, autism and Christianity, uh, privacy and, Christ, uh, and Christian ethics, which is which relates to my doctoral theme, uh, and then also uh, a little bit on uh, people misunderstanding Pope Francis because of media reports and things like that. That come mm-hmm. those tend those tend to be topics that I focus on a bunch because uh, I those are topics that others aren't aren't focusing on a ton because I figure a lot of times I'm like, if the writes a good article, I'm not going to just like basically write the same thing on my blog and spend two hours because like, Hey, they already made one. I'll spend five minutes sharing theirs mm-hmm. instead of two hours writing one, from, writing one on my own blog. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any final words you'd like to leave for deeper waters audience? Well, I, hopefully all of you have a great, uh, great Easter t- season mm-hmm. here. Now we just celebrate Easter. Uh, or if you're Orthodox, Easter tomorrow. Uh, yep. Or old calendar Orthodox or calendar Orthodox, Easter is tomorrow. And and just to uh, to really be grateful for all God gives you, and to to really love God with all your heart and love God in the way that that you can and the, in the way that that uh, that God made you to love Him. Mm-hmm. Well, I was not alright. Thank you for having you here, and I hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. God bless you. And I'd like to remind everyone that next week we're going to show Ray on talking about sex and marriage together. For now, I'm Nick Peters. I affirm the virgin birth, and I'm signing off. <laughs>